Hello and welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a human-centred design practitioner based in Sydney, Australia. Before we jump in, however, as this podcast was recorded in the Sydney CBD, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land where we meet today and pay respect to their elders, both past and present. In this episode, we caught up with Cyril Sakoshian, who is the Principal Human Centre Design Practitioner at Westpac Group, one of Australia's big four banks. We discussed the methods that the wider Human Centre Design team and Westpac use to help keep stakeholders engaged. Cyril explains the science to look out for with engaged and disengaged stakeholders and how to work with them to build trust. He takes us through the project process right from the start of the projects and then the engagement do's and don'ts when working in large-scale organisations. Also, this podcast was kindly sponsored by Aquent Sydney, incorporating vitamin T and firebrand talent. 100% of the money goes straight towards caracare.org.au. So their teams tell us that they've got lots of UX-related freelance and permanent job opportunities at the moment. So please visit aquent.com.au. The link will be in the show notes and choose Find Work to see what they've got on right now. So let's jump straight in. Cyril, welcome to the show. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. So, Cyril, let's kick this off. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into design. So, I'm a human-centered designer, but I started initially by studying marketing. I was really interested in, in the class in theory, uh, but then I did an internship and I realized that marketing wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, this is back in France, obviously. I can hear the accent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. Back in France at that time. <laughs> and uh, so, I did an, an additional year of study closer to the digital world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found a job which was a hybrid of project management and design slash information architecture. And from there, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Okay, which is user experience design back in the day. Yes, yes. It wasn't even called like that at that time because France has always been a bit behind Australia, I would say, in terms mm. of UX. But yeah, that was the spirit. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the topic that you want to discuss today like, and how it originated. A few months ago, I was online and I read uh, an article that was saying that basically poor communication, poor stakeholder engagement, lack of clarity, lack of trust are the main reason why a project can derail. And I've been working in medium to large organization for more than 12 years. How large? How large are we talking? Uh, we're talking big banks. So I, I was in, um, in BNP Paribas back in France. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty big size, yeah. like 40,000 maybe employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, if my memory is good. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm at Westpac today, which is also uh, one of the biggest employers in, in Australia. Yeah, so I've been working in these big size companies and I had time to realize how stakeholder engagement is critical to project success. Mm-hmm. I also had time to realize how complex it was in big organizations. Um, for example, in, in large organizations, you often have like many stakeholders per project which make the engagement mm. uh, pretty complex. And they often have like different level of design maturity, mm. each stakeholder. And also the big organizations tend to be very siloed, which means stakeholders often focus on their own specific goals. Mm. It's really hard to get them to converge to have the same vision and the same mm. objective. Yeah, sure. All right, so why is it so important to get stakeholders deeply engaged? What are their goals? Well, I think it's important because it, it prevents the project to derail and definitely increases the chances of success. By having stakeholders deeply engaged, you avoid any uh, misalignments, misunderstandings. You get buying on the solution by designing it collaboratively. And also, I, I believe that stakeholders are often subject matter experts, right? And, mm. and as designers, we bring our design expertise on the table. So by combining the two, you just increase the, the chances of success of, you know, having a quality output. 
Okay, so what tactics do you use to enable collaboration to happen with those stakeholders? Sure. So just before I jump in into details, I just want to give credit to Dan Smith, who's the director mm. of uh, the Human Centered Design team at yeah. Westpac. So basically, my boss. Yeah, good man, Dan. Uh, and he, uh, yeah, I think you know him already. Yeah, we've been um, on the panel. And uh, yeah, so he came up with this approach a few years ago, and we've been uh, using it uh, in the HCE team since then. Mm. Uh, so basically, we, we follow the design thinking process, but we, we put a strong emphasis on taking stakeholders on journey with us. Mm. Collaboration and communication is very important for us. I'll give you a few examples. So before the project starts, mm. we write the HCD approach together with uh, the stakeholders. So if I'm working on the project, I, I would go and meet with a stakeholder the first time and uh, we will frame the problem together. We would mm. talk about the scope then I will go away and uh, and hand sketch a, a one pager okay. uh, with the approach, and uh, it will be very visual. It will look almost like a sketch notes, you know. Because mm. I was going to ask, well, what does that look like? How do you define that very early stage piece with a stakeholder who may not have that design maturity that that you or myself might have? We talk about business objective essentially to start with, and then from there we kind of give them some recommendation from a human-centered design perspective. Mm -hmm. And we try to find like a happy middle where I'll be comfortable starting to work on an approach, basically. Okay. So those things that the stakeholder calls out, are, is there a prioritization piece that happens there about what pieces can be addressed in, the, in the, the design process? Or is there any consideration given to that? So uh, not initially at the beginning of the project, but okay. uh, usually we base our work on... Uh, and our recommendations on research. So mm. once the research is completed, we often have a good visibility on what are the different opportunities. Okay. And from there, we, we usually conduct some uh, prioritization sessions right. uh, where we consider desirability, viability, and feasibility. Yeah. This happens with the relevant stakeholders in the room. Okay. What are the next steps? So once we, we get a, a detailed approach where everyone's comfortable with, then the project can kick off. And we usually start our project with a co-design session. Mm. So we bring uh, designers and, and stakeholders on the table. So it's very good for stakeholders because they can, often they have a, their mind set on a solution. And mm. uh, by having that co-design session happening, it can be a real eye-opener for them. Okay. You mentioned earlier when we were speaking before we started recording about the project wall and the weekly huddles and, and all these certain ceremonies. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about what they are and how they fit into the process? Yeah, sure. For each project uh, we work on, we've got a, a project wall and we really think a project wall has to serve a purpose, certain mm. purpose. So on the project wall, you will find um, the key information that's in the HCD approach. So you mm. will find the project opportunity, the scope, the list of, of stakeholders are supposed to be engaged in this project. And from there, it's, it's basically a work in progress. So for example, if we've got a, a researcher working on the project, uh, the first week uh, the wall will be filled in with uh, post-it notes with insights. Then the following mm. week it will be a hand-sketched structure of the journey map. And the week after that it will be a digital output of that journey map. Mm. And we do have a weekly huddles happening at the wall. It's like 30-minute session where we gather with stakeholders, we take them through the work that has been done uh, the previous week and uh, mm -hmm. we update them on the HCD activities. And it's a very good stand-up session. It's pretty dynamic. Mm. Stakeholders can give us uh, their feedback. And also often we, we see the conversation happening uh, between stakeholders, which helps breaking the silos I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So they, they could be coming from different parts of the business and they could have identified different objectives of the project. So they have to be see the evolution of the project in front of their eyes almost. Yes. And it helps them converging toward mm. the same 
just just as a sidestep to that question, um, what happens after the research has been completed and the research is on the wall? Where does that go and live? The bin? Or? <laughs> no, no, it, it stays up the wall. But the, when we move from research to ideation, we often have a, a two human-centered designer that work mm. uh, in parallel, in tandem. And basically, the, we always kick off with the research. Mm. And then the human-centered designer that is more focused on the prototyping and testing will then take these insights and feed them into his work, uh, mm. his prototyping work. And vice versa, after user testing, he will feed back some insights to the researchers so that information can be added to the journey map if, if yeah. that's the output. Okay. So after that, you, you, you mentioned in the, in the show notes here that we're looking at the face-to-face collaboration and no emails. Now, yes. Th- that stood out to me uh, a little bit stronger than, than most of the other points here because a lot of businesses are, you know, digital transformation. We're going to be firing those emails back and forth. <laughs> We're going to save paper. Like, why no emails? I'm, I'm keen to hear your perspective on that. So no emails might be a bit extreme, but we try to <laughs> limit the number yeah. of emails. That would be more correct. So yeah, we're really pushing our team to a face-to-face conversation with stakeholders. And that's where uh, we find the wall being very useful for that. Mm. So, for example, we uh, we encourage us, our designers not to share a link to a prototype or a soft copy of the journey maps and instead having the conversation at the wall. The reason is, is in the past when, uh, when we used to do that, uh, the emails got shared to other stakeholders mm. or other people that we were not aware of. And yeah. uh, suddenly you end up with receiving emails with bullet points of feedback on, on things that you haven't asked for that yeah. are not necessarily very clear. And, and you may not have been on the journey as well. Yes, and, and so having a face-to-face conversation at the wall is much more efficient mm. in terms of uh, getting a, a clear output and outcome. So what do you say to a stakeholder who's like, oh, this is a really great prototype, and you're showing to them on their phone, and they're like, can you just send me a copy of that? Because another team, perhaps elsewhere in the organization, might do that. Yeah. So when a stakeholder asks for soft copy or link to a prototype, we always ask why. Why do they need it? Mm. So we need to get a good understanding of what they're going to do with it. If mm. they're going to present it to another team, for example, mm. then I mean we should have the discussion of uh, potentially involving HC to that presentation mm. because obviously we've been the closest to work and. Yeah. Um, it depends on the stakeholders. Some stakeholders can be very comfortable with presenting. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I think that's really smart. Um, so with hindsight, what are the key learnings around the way you've been engaging with stakeholders? Maybe what do you do differently? So in terms of key learnings, I, th- I think getting to know them before the project starts is very important and like creating that relationship and, and that trust. Developing relationships takes time and it's not something that you can really force, mm. but you can definitely influence it and, and be proactive with it. Mm. Uh, so it might just be starting with a cup of coffee with a with a stakeholder. Um, but there's a lot of stakeholders that we work frequently with and mm. uh, we end up developing that relationship like that by working together yeah, several times. at a human-to-human level. At a human level, yeah. The thing with relationship is that is increased trust, and and when there's trust, people work more effectively and more mm. easily together. It's also important to understand what's happening in their world, um, mm. just so we know what we can ask or expect from them. Mm. So when you say their world, you mean obviously their whole world, not just their work world. Yeah, yeah. So so it would depend on the personality of the stakeholder and, and how mm. close you can get to them in a yeah. way. You yes. may only have 20 minutes a week with some of these stakeholders because they're, they're pretty busy. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, it's a human contact, so sometimes yeah. it clicks, sometimes it doesn't. So. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah. So I think it's really important for the designers to have that, that EQ to be able to tap into that and yes, be aware. Yeah, point. Yeah. So I guess it sounds like you're treating stakeholders almost 
like extensions of the team. So you're, you're bringing them into that process and they're, they're almost partners Yes, is what I'm hearing. Is that correct? Yeah, totally yeah. right. So that's another key insight. So it's that uh, yeah, we should, and we always have, I hope, uh, treat stakeholders as mm. partners and vice versa uh, because we do have the same goals. We, we do share the same vision. We should share the same vision. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. So yeah, it's important to treat them as partners. Yeah. Also, something that's pretty important is to keep the momentum going, uh, mm. to keep stakeholders engaged. So I know in HCD, we, we move at a pretty fast pace on project. Mm. And it's not just because of budget limitations, yeah. but it's also because this fast pace helps us keeping the momentum and, and, and keep the, the stakeholders engaged. And so delivering for, value as well. And delivering value, yeah. So for example, when we conduct user testing, we condense the, the testing session within one day. So mm. six sessions within one day. And then we only have six or seven days in between two rounds of testing, mm. which might oh, sound a lot, but yeah. actually there's a lot of things that need to happen in between these two sessions. Does that fluctuate, the, the number of participants, depending on the stages of testing that happens in the journey? So uh, as the more fidelity you need, more testing partner participants? When we test with customers, uh, we, we usually limit ourselves to six, knowing that the minimum that has been mentioned by uh, Jacob Nielsen is five people. Mm. Basically, that's how you can uncover 80% of the, of the usability issues. Mm. So we usually stick to six, but then it can vary. When we do research, obviously, sometimes we, depending on the different segments we have to approach, yeah. sometimes it can go more, than, more yeah. than six. Depending on the accuracy that's required, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So um, what I'm really, just to go back to the original question, like what's changed and with hindsight, how has this framework evolved over time since you started in Westpac into where you're at now? What are you doing differently? When I joined Westpac, as I mentioned, uh, the, this kind of framework was already in place. But I guess uh, myself and the other designers in the team, as the team grew, we, we brought our, our experience on the table and our background. And we, mm. we basically helped this approach evolve and adapt to the daily yeah. challenges we're facing, basically. Yeah. So it's like your own playbook. Yeah, 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 definitely. We definitely own this framework and uh, we're always tweaking it, mm. adjusting it. Also, we've got some stakeholders that we work a lot with, which means it makes things easier mm. and we don't have to go through the whole framework by the book every yeah. time. Yeah, as um, the maturity increases. As the maturity increases. Yeah. So so what, what kind of involvement do you have? Because that's people and culture and also like just helping increase the, the design maturity because in the lower design maturity organizations, you're going to have to work harder to get those things across the line. Yeah. So um, is there any collaboration happening between the HCD team and the training and uh, operations level at Westpac to, to upskill the organization to become more design mature? No, unfortunately, we don't do that. We, we're big believers of starting from the ground and going Working up. up yeah. So I think it's a, uh, yeah, it's a long and slow process. Yeah, but it's proven to work. Yeah, it's proven to work. We, we've got some areas of the business where we frequently work with them. Mm. So we've seen that level of maturity definitely that increased. And part of the, the challenges in the next few months and, mm. and maybe years is to uh, tackle other areas of the business mm. uh, where we know that the design maturity level is pretty low. It's pretty low, yeah, yeah. So like I, I've worked in organizations similar sizes to Westpac before and what always shocked me was whenever I worked with some designers and some non-designers, they always felt that the stakeholder engagement was really high. So what I'm keen to hear is your understanding of what does successful engagement look like? What are the signs to look for? Well, for us, I think during the project, when, uh, 
when we see stakeholders having conversations at, at the project wall mm-hmm. without us being around, that's a good sign of success. That yeah. means that they're really using that, that yeah. framework we've put in place. Even better, we, we often leave like a, a post-it note and a pen blue tacked on the wall yeah, uh, to encourage that. feedback from um, stakeholders, but as well the rest of the project team like BAs or project yeah. managers. And uh, when we find like this post-it note filled with questions, it's a pretty good feeling as well. Mm. And I guess at the, at the end of the project, another sign of success will be for stakeholders to come back to us for another project, yeah. asking for more, you know? Referrals, like um, a customer, I suppose. Yeah, and, and then referrals. Like So if, uh, if stakeholders we work with turn into promoters and recommend us to other stakeholders, which actually happened a few times. Mm. It's a pretty good feeling. Yeah, okay. So we kind of touched on this earlier in the, the episode, but what would you have done differently so far in, in the framework? Look, I think there have been a few projects where we really pushed hard to get in because we thought it was the, mm. the right thing to do. And we managed to get in, but in the end it was a bit of an uncomfortable situation mm. um, because some stakeholders didn't really want us there. Mm. And... Uh, I think it had some kind of impact on the output, on the final output. Mm. So now we try to really focus on project where the team is set up for success and mm. where we really want it there. Yeah, because like it's it's not a walk in the park. You know, working in these large organizations and working in design teams, it can be quite difficult, and you can obviously, you know, it's human. You can get people that you just don't click with, and they don't understand the process. So, is there any advice you can give to people who are listening on how to get around that? Yeah, so there's different types of difficult stakeholders. Um, mm. There's uh, the one that are not that don't really believe in the in the human centered design process. Mm. In that case, what we do um, is we use the project walls again. So mm. if you have a project, project wall, wall. <laughs> if you have a project wall in your company, I would uh, highly recommend to to use. How many them walls do you have? It must be like the maze prison in Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> we we do uh, depending on the floors and the buildings yeah, uh, yeah we might have i don't know at least uh 20, 10 yeah. and 20 walls i would say in total yeah keeps increasing but then there's a wall war going oh, on the wall, the wall <laughs> because wall. everyone wants a wall it's like game of thrones <laughs> the wall yeah. so um how big are these walls just uh, i can't believe we're talking about the wall size but yeah i know <laughs> uh, it's usually like i would say um uh, so the height depends on the height of the ceiling, obviously, but uh, the width, width is usually uh, between one and two meters. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. But it really depends on the project and the amount of information you have to put on the wall. And I'm half expecting to come over and visit someday and just see it like a maze. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you get lost in <laughs> the HDMI. Dan maze. Smith in the middle sitting in a big chair. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for you. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. All right, so... so Go on, you're telling us a little bit about like difficult stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. So basically, we when uh, they're not convinced with the process, we usually take them through these walls, and we mm. we try to reassure them and to explain, like to educate them on the uh, on the HCD approach. We also refer them to other stakeholders we've worked with in the past, mm. um, so they can get like um, feedback from people that speak their own language. Yeah. In a way, um, French. <laughs> <laughs> Bad joke, dad joke. Sorry, <laughs> it's fine. Um, so yeah, yeah, and and then you, there's some uh, stakeholders that don't really have time or not really interested in um, in the work you're doing for their project, which can be a bit of a shame. So something that's very important to remember is that uh, primary stakeholders share some responsibility in participating mm-hmm. actively. Mm-hmm. So as designers, our responsibility is to make sure that we give them enough space and time to provide feedback and to be engaged. But if they're still not getting engaged at the end of the day, we've got time mm-hmm. frame that we have to respect. Okay. 
So we're coming to the end of the episode, Cyril, and I've just got one final question on this topic. So what improvements would you like to see in the next 12 months to this framework? So what have you identified as potential pain points, to use the design terminology, in the framework and how are you going to address them? As I mentioned briefly before, we've managed to set a good level of, uh, of design maturity mm. uh, with one area of business banking. Mm-hmm. That, that's the business unit we're working for. Uh, and we need to increase our effort with other areas where stakeholders are not really familiar with uh, the design thinking process. Mm. So it's going to take time. As I said, mm. it's a slow process, but uh, we know that it works. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have material that you send out to those people who are like low design maturity? Or do you have like partners that you send them off to, to get them educated? Now again, comes back to face to face, like having these conversations, taking time to sit with them, to take them through the wall. Uh, it's really yeah. it's practice through play. Yeah, like we all know in in large organization. I don't know in in smaller size organization, but in large organization, every time you send like a document oh. to to someone, not necessarily stakeholders, just to someone, it, it gets ends lost. up not it gets lost. It's not being read necessarily. So it's better to have that conversation. Okay. I think. Yeah. So what else? One of our challenges is to make sure that uh, that our approach gets conveyed to everyone in the team and, mm. and that they're using it because the team is uh, keeps growing. So a year and a half ago, we used to be just used to be just Dan and myself, mm. <laughs> and now we almost fifteen. Okay. So that this team is obviously growing, and we've got. And what's the team made up of, like in terms of skills as opposed to roles? So we've got three HCD principal. I'm one mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Then we've got a service design lead. We usually work with them on big complex projects that don't mm-hmm. necessarily happen in, in the building we're located. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a lot of uh, senior human-centered designers. So some of them might be a bit more specialized on research. Other mm-hmm. will be more specialized on prototyping and, and testing. Okay. So it's a good, good healthy mix. Yeah. But we've got an end-to-end uh, human-centered designers as well that can move from research to prototype and testing easily. Okay, excellent. All right, so usually Mark does this, the, the three questions from hell is what we're calling it. But Sarah, we want to ask you these three questions. You might have heard them on the other podcasts, so you may have already been prepared for them. But what is the one professional skill you wish you were better at? I would say uh, public speaking. It's not necessarily a skill that I don't have, but it's a skill I'm trying to improve. Mm. And luckily with my, my current role, I'm more exposed to that. So, mm. so that's a good thing. Okay, yeah, that's cool. So what is the one thing in the industry that you wish you'd be able to banish? Definitely, I would say waste of information. And by information, I mm. mean research insights, yeah. data, etc. I think people like starting from scratch instead of leveraging existing information. Mm. Or where they do leverage existing information, it's often overlooked. Yeah. In worst case scenarios, it's ignored. And it does have um, an impact on on the quality of the output. Yeah. Um, it can actually reduce the trust with stakeholders if they're like, we've already gone over this. We, we know totally, this. Totally, yeah, I've seen that as well. Yeah. So what is the message you'd give to emerging human-centered design talent for the future? There's actually a couple of messages. The, the first one would be, being a designer is much more than being good at design, the mm. process, the tools, and the methods. It's it's uh, think about growing your soft skills as well. And we've talked about stakeholder engagement today, and soft skills are very important in order to engage uh, stakeholders properly. A second message will be actually the the portfolio. So I do a lot of interviews, and uh, often in portfolios, I see a lot of pretty pictures. Uh, they often focus on on the output, which is good. But what I think a lot of recruiters are interested in would be to, to get an, an understanding of, of the process, mm. the method they've used, uh, the challenges they've faced, yeah. et cetera. 
So it's really important for young people coming through, if they're going through that process, to document it. And also to seek approval, I guess, from yes. their employers to be able to use that work publicly. Yeah, totally. Okay. Cyril, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're really, really busy and um, I really appreciate the time. And I know the listeners are really appreciate the time for sharing this information. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jerry. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community, hop on over to thisishcd.com where you can request to join the Slack channel and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time.